to a lean-in moment to explore how to let go, follow, and navigate challenging times. I'm Stacy Bowden, your Mama Bear Guide. How can you thrive through any life circumstance? Let's find out together. Welcome everyone to Turning Dead Ends into Doorways. I'm Stacy Bowden. Because this podcast is about following energy, it's about letting go and following what shows up in daily life. I am once again feeling called to go a little bit off format and uh, address what's happening here, address what I'm noticing out in the world, out inside of ourselves as we shelter in place. It's been a while and we're feeling it. Some things are getting stirred up. So I have invited a beloved in my life, Mickey Johnson, to come and sit with me. And we've known each other for about a decade. Mickey and I have been talking about one of the things that we're noticing in dynamics of relationship, and that is codependence. So welcome, Mickey. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, for people who may not know you, you and your husband, Jackson, own Job Portraits, your co-founders of a business, and you also have a wonderful year-and-a-half-year-old son. You are someone who has been very committed to changing work culture by creating a different kind of work culture, so I want to recognize your work there, and also someone who's very committed to intentional living, I would say, walking your talk and integrity. So I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you. So I'm not exactly sure how we arrived at this conversation, except that we were both noticing that the dynamic of codependence is really with 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 people sheltering in place at home, either with their families or other people, or sheltering in place by themselves, I am certainly noticing an intensity around codependence in, in, you know, in relationship to oneself, daily life, and each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. I think maybe for me, one of the places that it came up is actually just realizing that this is a moment where there is so much going on for all of us in many different ways. You know, we're probably working from home, which we haven't done. We might have children at home who would normally be at school. We might have extended family with us. You know, things are incredibly uncertain. We might be looking at financial difficulties or loss of a job. We can't go out and see people that we want to see. You know, travel has been disrupted, all of these things. And I I think I became aware really quickly that this is one of those moments where if people don't get really clear about what they need and aren't able to speak that and stand up for that and ask for that and really be in choice that they would get taken down really quickly. I would get taken down. I knew that I would get taken down really quickly. The reason that I know so deeply the idea of, you know, knowing what I need and being able to speak that and being in my choice is because of the learning um, that I've had around codependence from you largely and your book and, you know, the the other people that sort of have helped spread uh, this idea and, you know, the, the triangles and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I just think this may be part of why it's up is because this is such a moment where this codependency can get activated so easily in so many parts of our lives um, that it feels really necessary. And it's kind of pushing people, I think. Yes. And, and so, just to back up for a minute, because I don't want to make any assumptions around language here. The angle that I want to talk about around codependence is what do, what reality or lack thereof does codependence often create? And it's really based out of this idea put forth by a psychologist named Stephen Cartman, who identified this triangle based on studying abusive relationships. So from that place, he began to identify what roles show up when people are in an unhealthy dynamic. 
And when people are in an unhealthy dynamic, we get stuck in these prescribed rules where only one reality rules. It's an either or black and white way of life. The person who has the power gets to decide what reality looks like. Other realities are not seen or validated or allowed to exist. And usually that person who has power is a persecutor, often comes in and uses that power to silence people and to maintain their power. And what that does is it creates uh, these other two rules so that there's a persecutor who comes in often with you know judgment and blame, and they often are persecuting someone else, another person in a dynamic, and that person becomes the victim. They feel like they don't have any choice. They feel stuck, overwhelmed, often caught in fear. And then there's a, that creates a third role, which is the rescuer. And the rescuer often comes in to make things better, to fix things. So, so that Stephen Cartman identified this way of being based on violation, which then got extrapolated into um, the recovery movement in terms of alcoholism and addiction. And, and, and that became a real, and that's where the word codependence, I believe, kind of entered into the recovery movement. And we began to really study what it meant to be in unhealthy relationships that way through, through addiction. So that's my understanding of, of codependence, either or realities, only one reality rules, creating prescribed roles of a persecutor, a victim, and a rescuer. And basically, it's like a ring around the rosy. Once you enter into that dynamic, you cycle through. So you may start off as a persecutor, but then you may start to feel like a victim, and then you may even move into a rescuer. And what I want to say is it's possible to have this relationship um, with other people, if you think about your work life or you think about your family dynamics, um, you, you can see it. But it's also possible to have this relationship with yourself. So, so in general, I see codependence all the time in my work with, you know, with clients, with individuals, with couples. It's kind of like once you start seeing codependence, you can't unsee it. But there's something about what's happening right now that I feel is particularly prescient in that there's something about being sheltering in place, which is turning up the volume. Under normal circumstances, codependence is, is, is there. We are steeped in codependence. It is part of our bones. Even if you have had a great childhood, you know, our culture is filled with it. It's a culture of fear. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you will start to spot these three roles, um, all over the place. It's just, it's just kind of how we've been raised. But there's something about sheltering in place that is activating another level of it because there's simply nowhere to, there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to hide from ourselves if we're alone. And there's nowhere to hide from each other if we're sheltering in place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I also want to invite you to talk about Mickey, your experience of codependence around work around what may, what maybe inspired you to create a different work culture with job portraits? Yeah, thanks. Certainly, I experienced codependence in my personal life in lots of little ways. And then as I went through my own personal journey of, you know, therapy and, you know, getting to work with you, Stacey, some and really learning about this concept, I think I, you know, started to become aware of the dangers and the challenges of being in that codependent place. And so I think I was really lucky that by the time that Jackson and I started Job Portraits about six years ago, I had worked through a lot of that. I think I sort of understood what the other side could look like with the the other, you know, triangle um, that I know you'll also talk about, but more of a co-commitment paradigm looked like. And, and honestly, Jackson and I had worked through a lot of those things in our own relationship too. I remember something that was really powerful for us was doing a, an EFT workbook, emotional freedom therapy, right? 
And it also digs into looking at the sort of cycles that you get into in a relationship. And, and I remember us talking about what was our, what were our cycles and realizing that I tend to be the one who would like ask for something that he wasn't ready to give or wanted him to do something for me that felt like nagging to him or something. There was this way in which I was often the one that had bigger emotions or got angry faster or things like that. And so then he would kind of retreat and I would feel like he was withdrawing from me and then I would become more of a persecutor, right? I would sort of like say something more to try and get a reaction. And But then we also realized that the opposite would happen in very specific situations, especially around work, actually, because we were, you know, working, we've worked together basically since we met. And that in certain work situations, he would come in with like ideas and be really excited and want to tell me about about them. And I would not really be in a place where I wanted to talk about work. And and then I would sort of withdraw and he would, you know, and I would sort of become this victim where I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. And um, he would get upset. And so I just remember very clearly that was a big aha for us is the way that those roles can change and shift really quickly. And because we'd had a company before where we had other co-founders, we had always been really, really clear that we couldn't let our personal relationship make things uncomfortable or unprofessional with our other co-founders. I guess one thing I'm realizing about codependency, and and like you said, once you see it, you can't stop seeing it, that I find really helpful is that so much of the time I feel like we're arguing, uh, we're not really arguing about the thing we're arguing about when we argue with other people. Mm. We are doing that thing you talked about, which is we're, we're vying for whose reality is correct. And think co- seeing codependence helped me start to have a conversation about what we were actually fighting about, <laughs> uh, which was kind of the thing that was like under that. We actually identified a pattern that we have in our relationship a lot, which is we call su- surprised we're unaligned, which is basically where we, you know, we start talking about something and then we like realize wait, like, that's not what I think happened there. You know, like this, I think this totally other thing happened, right? And then there's actually a hurt around the fact that you don't agree with my perception of how this other thing happened or what we agreed we were going to do in this moment. You know, I remember having an argument that that was literally like me saying, I said that to you. I remember that I said it. And him saying, no, you didn't. I did not hear you say that. And we we like we argued about it for 30 minutes, I think. And then at some point we had to just agree that it was both true that I had said it and I remembered saying it and that he did not remember me saying it. And that like his reality was that I had not said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my reality was that I had. And <laughs> there, there just was no way to resolve that other than to say, okay, like we just have different perceptions of this reality. And it would have been really easy for to turn that into a codependent thing, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, you're so terrible. You never listened to me. Like, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, whatever. And, and me playing a victim and then also a persecutor and all of those things. And and I think we've just learned to to try to talk about, yeah, what's under that, which is like, OK, you didn't hear me, but I think I said it and we're both really frustrated, <laughs> uh, but probably best for us to just agree to disagree in this moment. That's a great that's a great example, because it's such a beautiful example of how do we how do we shift from potentially getting stuck in codependence and actually shifting to this other triangle, this other way of being together. So if it's okay, I'd like to just take a moment to share that other way. Yeah. So many years ago, at least 20 years ago, 25 years ago, the community that I um, did my training with that's called the Center for Sacred Studies, Joe T and Russell Park and Darlene Hunter and Wendy Cummins were all founding members of that community. And so they initiated a community-wide discussion and study. They called it a study of how to shift codependence. And through this community-wide conversation that has lasted for many years, other triangles were born. They eventually wrote a book called The Power of Humility, Joti and Russ, um, along with some co-authors. There's actually, I think, four triangles. The first one, Cartman's Triangle, and then three others. Essentially what the Center for Sacred Studies Kayumari spiritual community came up with was this 
this other triangle called the co-commitment triangle. And it's really based on, on this idea of reality is if instead of, of there only being one reality that we fight over and we compete with each other to, to own, to get to name, to get to decide what it is, if, if instead we can agree that reality comes, that there's more than one reality and that reality comes um, in many shapes and sizes, and that we can hold that paradox, we can shift from an either or way of perception into a both and way of life. So if we can really learn how to embrace the idea that just as you had that moment with Jackson, where you had to agree to disagree on what reality was, because everybody's, you know, has a different perception, and that you could accept that you're immediately moving into a both and way of being with each other, which makes room for differences, even if it's uncomfortable. And on top of that, the other key to shifting is letting go of judgment, blame and guilt. Now that is really difficult is learning how to stop judging people, stop blaming people, stop feeling guilted into, you know, living life like a should. Um, But when we do that, Okay, and when we start to speak instead of from the you place, you, 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 instead start to speak from a place of I, then we can shift and and these roles can change. There's a truth to these roles. There's almost like an archetypal truth to them, but they can shift out of something that is unhealthy into a much healthier way of being. So that the what happens is, is when we let go of judgment, blame and guilt, step into the I, I feel I need and make room for a both and make room for more than one reality, then what happens is, is the persecutor becomes a motivator. So the persecutor can, instead of saying, you know, you always do it wrong, and it's all your fault, the persecutor can say, you know, I really see, you know, I'm really noticing what's happening here in this situation. And instead of the victim feeling like they have no choice, they, the victim can learn to identify, well, what do I need here? What kind of support do I need? And the victim can then begin to see possibility, see choices, and can begin to activate their lives in a different way instead of, and so they become empowered. So that's the second role. And then the third role is that the rescuer, instead of coming in and fixing things and making it all better, by making it everything right for the victim, but essentially enabling them and taking away their own power and choice, you know, they can become a nurturer. A rescuer can say like, you know, I really love you. And I see that I'm I'm noticing that there's a lot of pain here. What do you need? How can I support you? And it's a game changer. The other thing that I think is really cool is that the Center for Sacred Studies works with, and Joe T. and Russ work with these triangles. It's body-based. So the first one is kind of more of like the belly area and more of what we would call, quote, lower chakras. So more about survival, first and second and third um, chakras, energy systems in our bodies. And and the second triangle, the co-commitment triangle, is in the heart. So it's really about learning how to shift from a scarcity survival place into a heart-based way of living. And so the reason why I think this is, is up right now, especially with corona, is a we're all shelter in place there's nowhere to go we can't hide from ourselves and 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 whatever cracks there are in re- in our relationship which we all have are going to be revealed um, because codependence is rampant in our culture so it's right there for us to look at and i really feel like we're at a moment in time in the collective way of being where it's it's time for us to realize that uh that the way that we've been living is not working and creating scenarios where somebody ha- that there somebody wins and somebody loses and there always has to be a victor and and therefore a victim is not serving us and 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 so I really feel like the key to for us to kind of make it through intact for each of us is that is it's now up to each person to learn how to shift that victim inside into a place of empowerment and we all have that victim inside. And so for years and years and years, I've been talking about like, how do you relocate power inside? How do you relocate power inside? 
And it's a practice. We have to practice relocating power inside. And now with what I feel like is being heightened is that, is, is that it, it's time to really activate that because otherwise we're going to lose our cookies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know what, yeah, go, go for it. I don't know what comes in for you around any of that. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I think one of the things that I so appreciate about the co-commitment triangle is that, yeah, you move from scarcity to abundance, right? You you move from either or to, to both and. And when you do that, yeah, you, you recognize that um, love and empathy and connection are not finite and that, you know, you move from trying to protect your reality um, to really wanting to share, you know, a reality with other people. I do think that's such a beautiful lesson for us right now because it's so easy to fall into scarcity. It's really easy to fall into feeling like you're not you're not a choice because I think this is making it really we're making us all aware that we are not in control. Um, and I think we often confuse choice with control. And so, yeah, I just I, I really appreciate the the abundance aspect that that can be opened up in the co-commitment triangle. And, and and let's let's talk more about that in terms of what's showing up because the truth is a truth is first of all we're, we're, many of us are experiencing very many different realities. It's a privilege at this point if you can be home and work from home and not and not be exposed <laughs> the way that many of our essential all of our essential workers are and the helpers and we say thank you to those people who are literally putting their lives on the line for us to be at home right now Mm -hmm. and so it's a source of privilege for us to get to be at home Mm -hmm. and at the same time that like let's be honest there's a lot of things that are being taken away that we don't there's a certain truth to the fact that well we don't have choice really around certain things like could break the shelter in place and decide we're going to do that Uh, So it's a choice to stay home, but actually there's also now legalities involved. And within that, you know, there are people who are at home, maybe they would like to, they wish they had an opportunity to be working because they are losing their livelihoods. There's things that are being shut down now where people can't actually earn money. And so therefore there's a truth happening where survival right now is up. It is up and it is not uh just a story there's a lot of different experiences that people are having around survival Mm -hmm. yes and there are also a lot of really beautiful things happening right um around like the the earth getting to take a deep breath you know we're seeing there's the least smog that there's been since like the 80s you know in in los angeles a friend was just telling me and people are with their families in this way that can feel like a gift for some people and work culture is really something that i'm passionate about and we're seeing people being emotionally vulnerable and we're seeing inside people's homes and we're seeing people move to remote work I, you know i i bring that up because the both and part of the co-commitment triangle is so huge and it shifted so many things in my life so much that I almost sort of forget. <laughs> I forget that it it didn't used to be there, that that wasn't a deep understanding that I had at some point. And so I think what the both and, you know, understanding does is it allows us to hold paradox. And I continue to think that the ability to hold two competing realities as both true is, you know, one of the deepest signs of sort of emotional intelligence and maturity. And it's something we actually really look for in our team members and we cultivate pretty actively is being able to hold paradox. And so I think that this is also such a moment of paradox, right? And And I see people doing that shift constantly where it's like, this is really hard. You know, like, I don't know how to do Like, I'm trying to take care of my kids and I'm trying to work and it's really exhausting and I just feel overwhelmed, whatever. And then immediately they sort of hear themselves and they go, right, but other people have it worse. And, and like, thank God I have my job and thank God I can stay home and whatever. And, and they're sort of constantly switching between these two realities. You know, I just, I think that it's, this is such a powerful paradigm for us to be talking about because 
it really embraces that paradox, which is like both of those things are true. It is both scary and hard and exhausting. And and we can be grateful for some of the things that are beautiful, right, that are coming out of it. And the one does not lessen the other, right? Mm-hmm. By admitting that some things are beautiful, it doesn't mean that we don't get to feel that things are hard. Or by recognizing that we have things to be grateful for, it doesn't mean that we are not recognizing that other people are at greater risk or having a harder time of things. And and so I think we're seeing that on a really collective level where in other times we might have experienced it more on just a personal level of saying, I can be both incredibly frustrated with my husband and in love with him at the same moment, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> and then like mm-hmm. those, those two things could both be true. Yeah, I appreciate Thank you so much for talking about paradox because and hold, learning how to hold, learning how to hold paradox and, and relating it to what's happening right now. Because I think that it's through learning how to relax into the tension of holding paradox. Okay, so how do we not only make room for, for very different realities, which can be super uncomfortable, which we are experiencing right now with what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, the level of unknown that we are being asked to tolerate and hold. And how do we then not only recognize the different realities, but actually relax into holding the paradox, instead of constricting around it, instead of fighting it and being in resistance to it. And that is not easy. <laughs> it's a, and it's a practice. So, but within that, when we can, when we can relax into it, and I do this as actually as a, a practice in my body, like I breathe it, you know, breathe into the discomfort of, of holding it all and holding and holding the deep grief of not getting to, you know, be touch my friends and, you know, be with people the way I normally am. Um, the grief of, of people dying right now, of having friends and people in my life who are in very edgy situations who are, I have people in my life who've already had COVID, you know, so there's a lot of suffering happening right now. And that's the truth. And simultaneously, there are also some really amazing things happening. As you said, I can hear the birds singing in a way that I haven't heard them sing for years. And those of us who have the privilege of having a computer and being able to access online are getting to, there's a lot of movement to bring a lot of creative practices online, which is gorgeous. And so there's something happening here that when we can hold the paradox of the grief and the loss and the letting go, as well as the place of possibility and the unknown, that's how birth happens. Mm. The way that Joe T would talk about it is, and it's very Jungian, which is, you know, you hold the paradox, you hold each point, you hold these points, you know, you just hold, 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 and eventually they come together and form new reality. And it's, it's almost like they, we need the friction of the differences rubbing up against each other to, to create, to create something new. And so how can we learn how to relax into what's happening in order for this next paradigm to be born, you know, in order to birth something, in order to really correct some things, correct our relationship with the earth, correct our relationship with each other, correct our relationship with, you know, we're seeing so many systems are going to be challenged by by what's happening. Work, school, healthcare, finances, so much. Like we don't even, we don't know it yet and we don't want to get ahead of it because that'll bring us into to anxiety and to fear. So how do we do this? So what does it mean to embody and practice a different paradigm right here, right now in the middle of some really challenging circumstances? How do we do it? Like, so how do you do it? How are you doing it with your husband? How are you doing it as a mother? How are you doing it with your work? <laughs> yeah, um, never perfectly. One of the ways that it's really shown up for me over the years is that I have a really strong rescuer tendency. So I know you you sort of mentioned in your book, you know, you you ask people, do you have do you have a a role that you find yourself falling into, you know, out of those three? and i'm I'm definitely the rescuer is sort of my comfort place. And it's especially up for me at work in general, I think feeling like 
the com- our company job portraits is my baby, that it is, you know, a part of me, that it is a direct reflection on me. Um, and then that our team members are, are like our, you know, our children They're They are, it feels like I need to take care of them. I, I have a tendency to want to like shield them from things that are hard or uncomfortable. And that's something that I've worked really hard to shift into being more of that nurturer it made me really happy when I was rereading the chapter to see that nurturing the core question for nurturer is is all around how can I support you in the growth and change that you are going to make rather than how can I do it for for you right how can I come in and do it for you or tell you how to do it how can I support you in your own growth and that's really the the place that I'm moving into is really wanting to be much more of a coach and a mentor and and I'm getting to do that more which is really wonderful and then you know something like COVID happens <laughs> and I'm just you know I really notice how the the rescuer comes right back up you know into me and I immediately start going down these mental uh, sort of spirals about oh this means did I'm gonna have to come back and I'm gonna have to start running all of these projects and we're gonna like people are not gonna be able to work for the money that we can pay them and sucked back into you know doing this work that I thought I wasn't gonna have to do and, and so did you hear me already I just went from yeah. <laughs> risk to victim right real Isn't fast. It amazing how we can do that <laughs> Um, And so I'm super grateful that when I'm not just completely overwhelmed and exhausted, which I am a lot right now, and I think we are a lot, I can find some space to see that that's happening. And it's super helpful to have a co-founder and husband who is aware of these these things too and can step in and say, whoa, 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 like, where are you going? Like, no one said you had to do that, right? Like, no one mm. said that was your your responsibility or your job. And, and I recognize that, you know, part of why I move into that is because it makes me feel like I'm in control right? There are all these things that are out of my control. There's a huge level of ambiguity and what feels like danger. And so for me to come in and say, well, I'm just going to do all the things <laughs> mm. um, makes me feel like I'm in control. But I'm also really grateful that I have a really visceral reminder of why that doesn't work and why it's not good, which is that about two years ago now, um, when I was pregnant with our lovely, you know, 18 month old little boy, we spent, you know, nine months trying to figure out how to give me a maternity leave, how to get the business to run without me. And it was really, really, really hard. And it was because I had embodied this rescuer role so deeply that people were, you know, people and systems and ideas were just like dependent on me. And it really, really made me step back and say like, like, why did I do this? How did this happen? Because then it put me in a position where I couldn't get out of that role, right? So we also talk about the codependent triangles, how you can, sometimes you can switch really quickly between all the roles, but then sometimes you feel like you're constantly stuck in the Mm. same role Mm. and you don't have choice to get out of it. And so I really got to a place where I was stuck in the rescuer role and I couldn't get out of it. And so for me, that provides a really strong memory of why in all moments I have to fight against that like rescuer tendency that I have um, because ultimately ultimately it's going to get me stuck someplace I don't want to be. And then it also disempowers the people around me because I'm not giving them a chance to be that empowered individual, right? And I've recognized that that's a real disservice to them too. So it's not like I have a, a, a perfect answer here, but I'm grateful that I have seen the down fall or the downside of that codependent um, triangle so that when it comes up, which it is right now, and it's really easy when we get stressed to fall back into those um, roles that I that I know why I have to keep working against that. Mm, thank you. That's great. And as you're sharing what's coming in for me is I am having such deep empathy for parents right now with kids 18 and under. My kids are 24 and 21. 
parents are sheltering in place with their kids at home and school is not happening. And parents are also trying to figure out how to work. And all of a sudden, they're finding themselves in this position of needing to learn how to be responsible for their children's education in a whole other way. And on top of that, people don't necessarily have big spaces. So there's nowhere to go. So someone, you know, a mom recently said, just was so poignant. She said, having a really good attitude about everything, but basically kind of saying, you know, I really miss myself. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost like you have like right now, there isn't a lot of space for people to kind of connect with themselves without having everyone around unless you are someone who's living alone and then i think that's a whole other challenge of not have you know of being too isolated right mm -hmm. i think it would be super easy to get pulled into you know wanting to do right by your kids and wanting to make sure they're okay so therefore like it's so ripe right now that what's happening with corona it's it's creating this kind of pressure cooker situation where all of those places that we have that we're out of balance in relationship with ourselves and each other are going to show up and it becomes this is becomes an opportunity to practice because otherwise things are going to be really unhealthy really like I, I think that we don't know how long this is going to last and so therefore we got to learn how to we got to learn how to work this otherwise it's really going to take us down emotionally and we're going to get stuck in these prescribed roles so therefore the persecutor will get stuck there the victim will feel like they have no choice and feel overwhelmed and, and have massive amounts of anxiety and the and the rescuer will be like exhausted from overdoing and and bending herself or himself or themselves um, their selves into a pretzel to take care of everyone else. And that's the thing about a rescuer. Um, I can raise my hand to say that's my go-to as well, that if you start to to think, wow, I don't recognize myself anymore because I am so overgiving to make sure everyone else is okay, then you've stretched too far. And then it's time to pull back. And so how do we do this now when when tension is high, when the stakes feel really big, you know, what does it mean to activate choice, which again, the key to shifting out of feeling like a victim into a place of empowerment is activating choice. But in this situation of where we are right now, choice may not look like getting to not shelter in place. Choice may not look like having a job or even earning income the way you normally did. Choice may not look like your kid going back to school. So there's a lot of ways in which outside choice is, is constrained. So how do we cultivate spaciousness inside? How do we cultivate an attitude of, you know, sometimes choice happens as a shift inside oneself. It's not because outer circumstances change. And I think that it's about what needs to happen inside of us to learn how to relax into the discomfort of all of these paradoxes that we're holding. And I think, first of all, we got to be real and authentic, which means that we got to, when we're upset, we got to recognize that it's okay to be upset. It's not about being Pollyanna and, and that everything's going to be fine. And isn't this great? The, the earth is singing now and it's wonderful. That's true, but it, this is also hard. Okay. This is also scary. And, and some people feel a lot of grief about what's happening. Uh, many people do. And men, there's a lot of loss. So how do we hold the beauty and the challenge, okay, and be real with where we are at each given moment. And then from that place, we can be authentic, we can speak our truth, and we can start to allow ourselves to say, all right, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But like in this moment, I'm feeling this way. And what do I need? What kind of support do I need? And how do I activate that? Maybe support looks like calling a friend or maybe support looks like letting yourself watch Netflix. I don't know. What does support look like for you now, Mickey? Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, this idea. It's probably a Buddhist idea or a Christian idea. Or it's probably every every religion probably. <laughs> You'll find a phrase like this, but basically it's like the idea of be still and you will know. And I was just thinking of you will know what you need, right? You will know what is the thing in this moment that is going to help you be authentic and real and show up the way that you need to. For me, that means getting away from devices. My job has always and continues to be being on video calls 
sometimes four or five, six hours a day. As much as I love the people in my life and I and I want to see them, I just could not do more video calls like on mm-hmm. the weekend. Mm-hmm. That was one of those things where it's like all these shoulds come up, right? Like, oh, but these are these girlfriends I haven't seen or my family or whatever, and they're gonna not they're not gonna be happy with me and whatever. And I'm I'm a big subscriber of the you have to put your oxygen mask on first rule, especially as a mother. Appreciate that I've had great guides like you, Stacey, who have said like, you know, like if, if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we like we we really, really, really extra have to take care of ourselves because we tend to take care of everyone else. So getting off of devices is big, getting outside and, and exercising and um, getting in nature. I had a I had a really long day today. And, and I just said, that's it. Like I'm leaving the house and I'm going to go hike up the hill and come back 45 minutes later. Sometimes it literally just means sitting on our back porch and staring into space and not talking to anyone, you know, ceremony um, and energy work and the, the things that we also share that way that are really rejuvenating and that really help me connect in with my my needs and my inner wisdom and my intuition. Um, Because I think that's the thing I'm really noticing too, is that it's so easy to get spun out, go down those paths of trying to be in control, right? And trying to think ahead of the ambiguity. And that just so rarely works. Uh, And what works for me is getting still and getting quiet and, you know, listening to the wisdom inside instead. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that, you know, each person, I think that's part of the journey that that is the opportunity right now is in order to not collapse into victimhood, which we can all easily do. It's up to each of us to go inside and ask ourselves the question, like, what do I need? And and I and and sometimes I think about that. My husband and I talk about this because you know, he comes, he's an immigrant, and he comes from a different background than I do. And so, you know, when he comes from much more of a place of survival, so sometimes when I say like, well, what do you need? He kind of gets frustrated with me that I even have the ability to ask that question comes from the way that I was parented and the level of consciousness and awareness that that, that is really an, a part of the privilege that I have in my life. Mm. The point is, sometimes it's not easy to identify what do I need? Mm-hmm. What do I need? Like that, the, the, to even ask ourselves that question, we may be so caught in fear or struggle or scarcity that we don't even, we never, even, nobody even ever asked us, what do you need, right? But now is the time to start. <laughs> and what I want to say to people is, is, that, is that actually one of the practices that I believe in that we can all do and that's easy to do if we just give ourselves room to think about it is is working with an intention, which is simply all working with an intention means is, is to allow yourself to wonder, to dream a little for a moment, if you possibly can, you know, what do I need right now? Do I need, what do I need to feel? Do I need to feel more balanced? Do I need to trust? Do I need some strength? Do I need nourishment? And if we can just start to allow ourselves to, to wonder what's going on with me. And if I could magically think about what is it that I need that would make me feel better, what would that be? We could actually arrive at some words and start to think about those. And those can help us hold a focus. Those can actually be a way through challenging times, especially. And in general, I like working with intentions overall, but now more than ever, we need some, I think we need some real lifelines. We need some things that are gonna help remind us what's important because it is easy to get spun out and it is easy to overextend and it is easy to really feel a lack of choice. So what's going to sustain us? How do we learn how to sustain ourselves as all of these different systems are shaky? You know, all of our practices and the things that make us feel better that are not self-harm also um, are awesome. And like, how do you go inside to wonder what do you need? in this moment and how do you because once you allow yourself to think about what you need then it becomes like well how do I do that or how do I activate that how do I make more of that and and that becomes your focus and your direction there's something about I think holding a focus in a direction that simmers down our fear Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean the other thing that I love about intentions too is that I find that they're a great way to 
shift my frame. And like I said, you know, I think one of the things that happens when we are in these sort of crisis moments is that we get stuck in in one way of thinking in one version of reality. Um, and so for me, like I'm just thinking, you know, one of my intentions for this year is exploration. Um, and so to have that as something that I have identified that I need more of and that is going to support me, then when I get to a place where I come up against, you know, oh, God, how are we going to make enough money with the business to keep people on? And what is that going to mean for me and stuff like that? You know, then I can say, OK, like what what would it mean to approach this with a sense of exploration? You know, whatever the intention is, I think I find that it helps me just shift my thinking, even just the question, right, to open up a space of curiosity of what would it look like to do this with more exploration really shifts the whole your whole mindset. And then I can start, you know, and then these little like slivers of light sort of open up. It's not about it giving me an answer, but I feel it gives me kind of the space to find a different mindset often. Right. And it gives you the motivation, right? It's like what I'm hearing is that it's like, the, again, that shift inside where we can see it from victim to empowerment, from feeling you're blaming yourself, oh, my God, into motivating, like, how do I move this forward? And suddenly, there's some extra energy and excitement about, wow, this is cool. I'm this is interesting. And then you start to feel more energized. And then you keep going, right? And, and you've shifted it. And that I think that really is a big opportunity for us to constantly practice right now, really shifting our relationship with ourselves and each other and to really remember kindness with each other to really, I want to invite everybody to really pay attention to how you talk to yourself, how you talk to each other. Like I was noticing it, my husband and I have been working really hard for a lot of years and we actually are super connected and we treat, we treat each other well. Like I believe that when I'm intimate with someone, like I want them to get the best of me. I want to treat them the best, not that they're mm -hmm. my dumping ground and whether that's my husband or my friends, like I want them to get the best of me in a good way, like a loving way. Mm -hmm. And, and I was noticing like we were getting a little snarky with each other and I said, Hey, you know, how can we remember that we're on the same team here? Like. I don't want to start to get into this habit of looping into not talking nice to each other. And we both kind of had to call it. So just taking a moment and then, you know, and then we caught it and it was like, okay. And we have an agreement too about how we are with each other, right? And we're super different people too. So we hold a lot of paradox around that. And that's made us, I find our differences to be a source of incredible strength. So how do you start to practice that? It's absolutely possible to start practicing that right now with your family, you know, right now with your roommates, right now with yourself, because they're ain't, they ain't going anywhere and neither are you, right? <laughs> so this is a good opportunity to be like, hey, do I come at people with a lot of blame or a lot of judgment? Like, how can I start to let go of some of that? So that's also where, to me, it feels like there's a, an opportunity to let go, to really start to examine how we are, you know, with with judging people, judging ourselves, um, feeling guilted, responding to guilt, allowing guilt to be a motivator. If we're walking around with a lot of shoulds, then we are in codependence, okay? Mm. For me, it's like anytime I see judgment, blame, or guilt, we are in codependence, right? So anytime you feel like you have no choice, like you are surrounded, you are in a place of victimhood, and I am too. So, so how do we start to notice the signs and the guideposts of this way of being so that we can practice shifting it? Because it's like a muscle. It's not going to just happen. It's going to take a commitment to say, wow, this way of being is not really working for me. So we have to agree that ultimately we all lose ring around the rosy you get you do these prescribed roles and then everybody loses and instead I'm going to step into a more frankly it's a more complicated <laughs> <laughs> more you know nuanced holding paradox and it's not that comfortable but what happens is is actually life gets more exciting and creative and what I found is that if we can learn how to hold the the both and and the not knowing always making room to really not know because there are so many realities I can't presume to know all of them or even many of them so I'm always going to be teachable then what happens is is life actually opens up and possibilities expand exponentially beyond what I could ever imagine with my little self and now is a time where we really want to open to some creativity of how we're going to move forward in the world 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I'm hopeful is is because it is it is such a hard moment. And I think often we see people, you know, that that codependent triangle is comfortable um, and it's easy. And often people are not willing to examine it and go beyond it unless something shakes them. Right. Unless something really gets hard all of a sudden and they say, whoa, like this isn't working. And I think what we're witnessing is basically like the entire human race right now getting that wake up call. Um, and so I hope that we answer it. You know, I hope people can use this as a catapult out of that codependency and that they have the space to start noticing. Yeah. Judgment, blame and guilt showing up and and instead asking, you know, what do I need and where do I have choice? Yeah. So I'm realizing it's been a while. <laughs> we, we, went, we went into one of our deep places and I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for talking with me today. And I just hope that, that people listening can receive some support for how it's possible to begin to practice shifting shifting this codependent dynamic that is not helping any of us so that we can kind of discover what we need and get really creative together and birth a new paradigm. That's what I'm going for here. Yes, please. Yeah. And I think that inside, outside, same side, if you're not able to be a helper out in the world and that you're the point that you're being asked to hold, the point that I'm being asked to hold is to stay home, shelter in place, then actually the way I can help is to transform myself inside to do the work, to do the emotional work inside so that we can all learn from this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, thank you so much, Mickey, for coming and sharing your life with us. And, you know, here's to us moving forward together. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for for what you bring to the world and what you bring to the workplace and what you model through your willingness to be honest and vulnerable and and create form out of that to to teach other people. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I've learned so much of it from you. So I'm grateful. Thank you. If anybody out there is having a particularly challenging time, I am continuing to, to offer and hold this podcast and follow the energy of it. And I would be honored to support you. So if you're experiencing a place where you feel stuck or lost, please feel free to reach out to me at stacy at dancing-tree.com and we can have a wonderful conversation, a lean-in moment together to explore how to turn a dead end into a doorway in your life. And so with that, everyone, be well. Thank you.